Hey true crimers, welcome to True Crime Brunette, where I'll be talking about a true crime case. I'm your host, Anai. Today, I'll be talking about Junko Furuta. Um, I also would like to say that this um, episode is a little bit different. It's not about a murderer or a killer. It's about the victim herself. Um... And yeah, so we learn, you know, a little bit about her and just everything that she went through. This case was in Japan, so I'm going to be pronouncing, I'm going to mispronounce a lot of names. So please excuse me, okay? Because, I mean, I can barely talk in English, let alone say any Japanese names also i wanted to point out that it is now wednesday at 1 20 in the morning and i usually record my episodes on sunday nights but because this case is so like traumatic it's taken me a few days and i've been postponing it and i it just uh it's not that i don't want to talk about it because it should be known what happened to her and all the disgusting things that were done to her. But it's just, like I said, it's so traumatic. So that's why they, this, this, this episode is a little bit like more harder for me to talk about since it's very descriptive. Warning, this is for a mature audience only. The case you are about to hear is very serious. A graphic description of what was done to the victim as well as extreme language for me. Listener discretion is advised. Known throughout Japan as a concrete encased high school girl, the case of Junko Furuta drew nationwide attention owing to sheer brutality the girl had to endure before death found her. Born January 18, 1971 in Misato, Saitama, Japan, Junko lived with her parents and her two brothers. She was the middle child. She attended Yashio Minami High School and worked at a part-time job at a plastic molding factory after school since October 1988. She was working to save up money for a graduation trip she had planned. She was a good-looking, attractive teen who enjoyed a lot of attention, which made some people jealous. She didn't smoke, drink, or do drugs. Also, I didn't mention, but she was 16 at the time. So now we move on to Hiroshi Miyano. So Hiroshi Miyano had a crush on her but wasn't looking for a relationship. He was the bully in the school and involved with the new generations of the Yakuza or the Japanese Mafia. Nobody dared to oppose him. Even teachers, parents, and other adults were afraid of him. So one day Hiroshi decides to express his feelings to Junko to which she said no. Hiroshi Miyano, 18, Jo Ogura, 17, Shinji Minato, 16, and Yasushi Watanabe, 17, were the four perpetrators. 
At the time of the crime, they used Minato's house as a hangout and as Chimpira, or Japanese mafia, but low-ranked and members were quite young. Previously engaged in crimes including purse snatching, extortion, and rape, Hiroshi, the ringleader, had a history of problematic behavior since elementary school. On November 25, 1988, Hiroshi and Shinji wandered around Misato with the intention of robbing and raping local women. At 8.30 p.m., they spotted Junko riding her bike home from work. Hiroshi then planned a small attack type of thing on Junko. He made his friend Shinji kick Junko off of her bike and then flee the scene. So Hiroshi pretended like he witnessed the said slow attack and asked Junko if he could walk her home safely. Junko accepted the offer, not knowing his real intentions with her. Hiroshi led her to a nearby warehouse where he lied about having Yakuza connections. He raped her in the warehouse and then took her to a nearby hotel where he raped her yet again, threatening to kill her. From the hotel, Hiroshi called Shinji and his other friends, Joe Gura and Yasusha Watanabe, and bragged to them about the rape. Joe reportedly asked Hiroshi to keep her in captivity so they could let others sexually assault her. The group had a history of gang rape and had recently kidnapped and raped another girl whom they re- who they released afterward. From now on, I'm going to be calling them shitheads, okay? I'll be like, you know, you'll know which which is which, but no more of their names because they don't deserve to be talked about because they're disgusting. Anyways, around 3 a.m., shithead ringleader, or Hiroshi, took Junko to a nearby park where the other shitheads, Joe, Shinji, and Yasushi, were waiting. They learned her home address from a notebook in Junko's backpack and told her that they knew where she lived and that Yakuza members would kill, kill her family if she tried to escape. The four shitheads overpowered her to Shinji's house and gang raped her. On November 27, Junko's parents contacted the police about her disappearance. The shitheads had Junko call her parents three times to convince them that she'd run away but was safe and staying with some friends. They also forced Junko to stop the police investigation. Parents of one of the shitheads, owners of the house, stated that they didn't intervene because they were scared of Hiroshi and their own Shithead son was increasingly violent toward them. On the night of November 28th, Shithead Hiroshi invited two other boys, Tetsuo Nakumara and Kiyochi Ihara, over to the Shithead Shinji's house. They went to the upstairs room where Junko was sitting, wearing a long sleeve t shirt and a skirt that ringleader Shithead had stolen from a clothing store days prior. They drank cough medicine pretending it was drugs and acted high. Junko tried to run away, screaming in fear. Ringleader Shithead grabbed her legs and Koichi put a pillow over her face. The parents were awakened and went to check on the scream, to which Shithead Shinji told them it was nothing. The Shithead plus friends gang gang raped Junko. During this time, she was in a state of unconsciousness, staring at the ceiling without blinking. My thing is like, okay, so she 
tried to run away screaming in fear. And then the parents of shithead Shinji wake up. And then the son tells them, oh, it was nothing. And then that's it. And they're like, okay with it. And they go back to sleep. Like, I'm sorry, but that could never be me. If God forbid this were ever happening in, in my house and I heard a woman screaming, I would be all up in their girls and be like, what is going on in here? Even though it said that they're scared of Hiroshi, like, bro, like, come on. What is he going to do? Like, to them. Kill them too? Like, are you freaking ki- <sighs> Like, n- n- do you understand why this case is so hard for me to talk about? It's just, oh my god. But this is nothing. This is nothing to the disgusting things that they did to her. 44 days of hell. The shitheads held Junko for 44 days at shithead Shinji's house. During those 44 days, Junko was forced to withstand unspeakable suffering. What Junko went through before murder included was humiliated by being kept naked most of the time, was raped every day in both the vagina and anus, more than a hundred men are believed to have raped her. Hiroshi Yakuza Connections invited other Yakuza members to have a go at a 16-year-old. She's estimated to have gone through about 500 rapes. At one point, she was raped by 12 different men in one day. Endured physical beatings, including hits with golf clubs, bashing of the face against the cement floor. The hundred quote-unquote men who are believed to have raped her had also reportedly enjoyed urinating on the girl. Frequently to turn the shitheads on, she was forced to masturbate in front of them and the other dirty shitheads. She had various objects forced into her vagina and anus, including a bottle, an iron bar, scissors, roasting needles, grilled chicken skewers. Was provided with only a limited supply of food and water, forced to eat live cockroaches and drink her own urine. I can't do with this next one. Had fireworks forced up her butt and set them off, causing severe burns. Had her left nipple ripped off with pliers. Had dumbbells dropped on her stomach while lying on the floor with her hands and feet tied up. This resulted in a loss of bowel control. As in, she couldn't control herself if she needed to go number two. The shitheads also shaved her pubic hair, forced her to dance to music while naked, left her on the balcony in the middle of the night with little clothing, was hanging from the ceiling and used as a 
boxing bag, was kept in a freezer for several hours, had eyelid, eyelids burned with hot wax and lighters, had breasts pierced with sewing needles, had her vagina and clitoris burned with cigarettes and lighters, had a hot lit bulb inserted into her vagina and rubbed until it, it exploded inside. Junko couldn't breathe through her nose due to the accumulation of blood in her cavities. Her traumatized internal organs refused to accept food and water, so when she tried to drink, she instantly vomited, which kept her more dehydrated. It also agitated the shitheads who punished her with more beating for soiling the carpet. At one point, Junko tried to call the police, but was caught and punished by having her feet set on fire with burning lighter fluid. Fluid. The bottles that were forced up her butt caused internal injuries and ugly bleeding. Severe leg burns and badly bruised muscles left her unable to walk after 20 days of her ordeal. Junko couldn't handle anything with her hands anymore because her bones were smashed with weights and her fingernails cracked. After 30 days, Junko couldn't urinate properly due to damage to internal organs and vulva from the insertion of foreign objects and burns from cigarettes and lighters. Junko's hands and feet were damaged severely and it took her over an hour to crawl downstairs to the bathroom. Her eardrums were also damaged and her brain size was reduced. How, you may ask? I don't know. Like, I just, I cannot with, I... Junko's death. During 44 days when she was repeatedly tortured, beaten, and raped, Junko begged the shithead several times to just kill her and be done with it. They didn't grant her the favor. On January 4th, 1989, the shitheads challenged Junko to a game of Mahjong Solitaire. Junko won and that pissed off the shitheads, so they treated her to a beating with an iron barbell and fire by setting her legs, arms, face, and stomach alight after pouring lighter fluid on them. Junko allegedly made attempts to put out the fire, but gradually became unresponsive. She was kicked, she fell onto a stereo unit, and collapsed into a fit of convulsions. Since Junko was bleeding profusely and pus was emerging from her infected burns, the shitheads cover their hands in plastic bags. You know, because they're a little... Ugh. They continued to beat her. The attack report reportedly lasted two hours. Being already, already severely beaten, dehydrated, and malnourished, Junko Furuta fell into a shock and died the following day. Less than 24 hours after Junko's death, shithead Shinji's brother called to tell him that Junko appeared to be dead. 
Afraid of being penalized for murder, the shitheads wrapped her body in blankets and shoved her into a travel bag. They then put Junko's body in a 55-gallon drum and filled it with wet concrete. Around 8 p.m., they loaded it and eventually disposed the drum of the drum in a cement truck in Koto, Tokyo. During her, cap her captivity, Junko mentioned to the shitheads several times that she regretted not being able to watch the finale episode of Tonbo. Ringleader Shithead found the videotape of the episode and placed it in the travel bag also. As he later explained, it wasn't because he pitied Junko, but because he didn't want her to come back as a ghost and haunt him. Like, are you fucking kidding me? He thought that by leaving a tape of the of that episode, that she wasn't going to come back and haunt him. I I truly hope she's haunting all of them, because fuck them. They can eat shit. On January 23, 1989, Hiroshi and Joe were arrested for the gang rape of the 19-year-old girl whom they had kidnapped in December. Remember the girl that they not did the same thing, but they did rape her and kidnap her, but then they ended up letting her go. And then that's when they ended up taking Junko. On March 29th, two police officers came to interrogate them as, wi as women's underwear had been found at their addresses. During the interrogation, ringleader Shithead believed that one of the officers was aware of his culpability in Junko's murder. Thinking that Shithead Joe Ogura had confessed to the crimes against Junko, ringleader Shithead told the police where to find Junko's body. The police were initially puzzled by the confession, as they had been referring to the murder of a different woman and her seven-year-old son that had occurred nine days prior to Junko's abduction, a case that remains unsolved. The police found the drum containing Junko's body the following day. She was identified via fingerprints. On April 1st, 1989, Shithead Joe Ogura was arrested for a separate sexual assault and subsequently re-arrested for Junko's murder. The arrest of the other shitheads, Yasushi Shinje and, and Shinje's brother, followed. Several other accomplices who participated in Junko's abuse were officially identified, including shitheads Tetsuo Nakumara and Goichi Ihara who were charged with rape after their DNA was found on and inside Junko's body. Prosecution The identities of the boys were sealed by the court as they were all juveniles at the time of the crime. Journalists from the Shukwan Bunshin sorry, magazine discovered their identities and published them. They stated that, given the severity of the crime, the accused didn't deserve to have their right to anonymity upheld. All four shitheads pled guilty to, quote, committing bodily injury that resulted in death, end quote, rather than murder. In July of 1990, a lower court, court sentenced, sentenced 
ringleader shithead to 17 years in prison. He appealed his sentence, but Tokyo High Court Judge Raiji Yanase sentenced him to an additional three years in prison. The 20-year sentence is the second longest given in Japan before life imprisonment. He was 18 at the time of the crime. Ringleader Shithead's mom reportedly paid 50 million yen, or $425,000, in compensation ordered by the civil court after selling their their family home. Ringleader Shithead was denied parole in 2004. His bitch ass was released from prison in 2009. In January of 2013, Ringleader Shithead was rearrested for fraud. Due to insufficient evidence, he was released without charge later that month. Shithead Shinjai, who originally received a four to six year sentence, was resentenced to five to nine years by the same judge. Ryuji Yanase upon appeal. He was 16. His parents and brother weren't charged. Junko's parents were dismayed by the sentences received by their daughter's killers and won a civil suit against the parents of Shithead Shinji in whose home the crimes were committed. After his release, Shithead Shinji moved in with his mom. However, in 2018, Shithead Shinji was arrested again for attempted murder after beating a 32-year-old man with a metal rod and slashing his throat with a knife. These guys are fucking psychos, bro. Like, what the fuck? Anyways, Shithead Yasushi, who was originally sentenced to 3-4 to four years in prison, received an upgraded sentence of 5-7 to seven years. He was 17. For his role in the crime, Shithead Joe served eight years in a juvenile prison before he was released in August of 1999. He was 17. After his release, he took the family name Kamisaku when he was adopted by a supporter of his. In July 2004, he was arrested for assaulting Takatoshi Isono, an acquaintance he thought his girlfriend may have been involved with. Shithead Joe tracked Isono down, beat him, and shoved him into his truck. Like, what the fuck? They keep being fucking psycho-ass motherfuckers. It just, it irks me so much. Okay, sorry. Um, Shithead Joe drove Isono from Adashi to his mom's bar in Misato, where he allegedly beat Isono for four hours. During that time, Shithead Joe repeatedly threatened to kill the man, telling him that he had killed before and he knew how to get away with it, as in Junko's death. He was sentenced to seven years in prison for assaulting Isono and has since been released. Shithead Joe's mom vandalized Junko's grave, stating that she had ruined her son's life. Yeah. His mom vandalized Poor Junko's grave, saying that she ruined her fucking dumbass son's life when it was the other way around. <sighs> I'm sorry. Um, it has also been reported that bitch as Joe had depleted or used up his father's saving money, which was intended to be provided as 
restitution or give up their gains to the claimant to Junko's family buying and consuming a number of luxury goods. Yeah, so aside from like doing all that shit to her, he fucking stole money from her parents. Well, from his dad, but the money was for her parents. Like, fucking piece of shit, man. Again, he can eat shit just like the other three motherfuckers. Many believe that the sentences were too light for the severity of the crimes committed. Me being one of them, because it's just disgusting that they did all that to her. They tortured her. She went through all that for them to be released and living their life. Okay, let me just finish this. The Aftermath. Junko Furuta's funeral was held on April 2nd, 1989. One of her friend's memorial address stated, quote, Jun Chan, welcome back. I have never imagined that we would see you again this way. You must have been in so much pain, so much suffering. The happy we all made for the school festival looked really good on you. We will never forget you. I have heard that the principal has presented you with a graduation certificate. So we graduated together, all of us. Jun Chan, there is no more pain, no more suffering. Please rest in peace. End quote. Junko's intended future employer presented her parents with the uniform she would have worn in the position she had accepted. The uniform was placed in her casket. At her graduation, Junko's school principal presented her a high school diploma, which was given to her parents. That's the end of this case, this awful, sad, terrible story. And all I have to say is that Japan needs to get their system straight. Like, those shitheads shouldn't have been released. The things they did to Junko and the trauma they put her through has to be punishable. Like, are you fucking kidding me? How are they free and living their lives like they didn't do anything? Like, they didn't torture, rape, and do many other things to a 16-year-old girl. Like, Jesus, Jesus Christ, this case just boils my blood, bro. Like, oh. Also, if you look up this case and you like, like, um, what is it called? Um, if you look up the names of the, of the four shitheads that did it, obviously they changed their names and you can't find the ringleader because I've tried and I can't find him. But if you, there's one of them, um, I think it was. Yeah, Yasushi Watanabe, I think, him. If you look him up, like, it'll give you, like, his... Because he changed his last name, so it'll give you his other last name. And then you can see that he went to fucking Harvard. Or he teaches at Harvard. I don't remember, but it's it's ridiculous that he's living his life just like the other three fuckers. After this awful thing that they did to this poor girl. Like, are you f fucking kidding me? Like, Jesus. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry I keep saying Jesus in vain, but... Oh. And that concludes today's terrible, sad, 
blood boiling story about Junko Furuta. Thank you for listening. If you have any comments on today's story, let me know by DMing me on the podcast Instagram page, True Crime Burnett, as well as any case suggestions. And while while you're there, don't forget to follow the page. Join me every Thursday for a new episode. Have a great day. Bye.